you looking for postpartum support in 2021? Are you ready to feel loved up, nourished and treated like an absolute queen after your baby is born? Then I might be the postpartum doula for you. Visit my website www.postpartumwithsteph.com, download my offerings and if you like what you see, email me at postpartumwithsteph at gmail.com. I have a range of in-home support packages along with online support and mini packages too. I would love to hear from you if you are ready to rock life after birth. This episode of Postpartum with Steph was recorded on the stolen land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Postpartum Stories with Steph, candid conversations with mums and sometimes dads about the precious yet chaotic time that is life after birth. My name is Steph, woman, warrior, wife, mother, coffee lover and feminist. I'm a postpartum doula in Melbourne and you can find me on Instagram at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph with a PH. Through this podcast, I will chat to women and birthing people in a real and raw way about their postpartum experience. So sit back, grab a cuppa, even if it's cold, take off your bra and enjoy. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to talk to you quickly about something new that I've started in the last month. It's called the Mama Collective. The Mama Collective is an online mother's group, essentially, but better. It is for women who are wanting to connect with each other throughout all stages of motherhood, whether you've got a newborn, a toddler or a young child and you feel like you are looking for a sense of community, a place where you can share without judgment and ask questions and potentially meet new people um, living in your area. So I've started this up because I found there wasn't a lot of places to go when I was, you know, in my early motherhood journey. And a lot of the Facebook groups and things were quite judgmental and quite competitive. And so I wanted to create a space, um, a safe space for like-minded mamas to connect and share and learn and love. So the group is up and running. There's already a few members in there, which is great. Um, And there's plenty of room for more. So there's more information on my website. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Um, But in a nutshell, what you get is access to an exclusive Facebook group. Uh, You get weekly check-ins with me. Um, I'll be there with my doula hat on and my mother hat and my friend hat. Uh, a monthly live group Zoom call where we can catch up um, and I'm thinking every few months we'll have um, different topics to explore. It might be around how to get more rest in your day, how to boost your oxytocin and I'm also planning on having a few of my special friends, special guest friends (laughs) uh, join in on those calls as well. Uh, You'll also get a 5% discount for any of my in-person postpartum packages um, that you book with me while you're a member and the opportunity to meet like-minded mamas in person too. 
So it's $13 a month, no uh, obligations, no contracts, no nastiness, nothing. (laughs) Just you, me and a group of other lovely mums and you can cancel any time if it's not for you. But I think it will be. So um, check out the link in the show notes and sign up today. Okay, let's get to it. Today I am joined by Fiona Weaver. You might know Fiona from her Instagram account called Mama Matters. Uh, Fiona shares some amazing content, um, a lot of her own resources and insight into the world of uh, gentle parenting and gentle sleep. Um, Gentle, (laughs) I was going to say sleepness, that's not a word. I might need some sleep. Uh, (laughs) Gentle um, baby-led sleep. Uh, In her bio, she's described as the honest, uh, as honest sleep for responsive parents and renegade babies. And I absolutely love that because I think sleep is one of those things that we all face issues with, um, whether it's in the early stages or toddlerhood. And there is no one-size-fits-all approach to sleep. That's my belief and um, I know that's Fiona's belief as well. And so she uh, shares with me her experience of having two babies um, and the expectations she had around sleep when her son was born and what actually happened. So I am not going to talk too much more. Uh, Fiona you know, tells her story very well and shares a lot of detail so um, I will say though you can I'll leave all of uh, Fiona's um, website links and Instagram links in the show notes Uh, she runs a program called the Mama Matters Academy Um, so it's a six-week program for new mums to join and learn lots of different things not just around sleep and um, you know responsive parenting but you know around Uh, motherhood itself Uh, so I'll leave all of those details in the show notes and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Fiona Weaver welcome. Thank you so much thank you for having me. Um, I would like to know who you are and who's in your life. I like that question. (laughs) So I am Fiona and I am a social worker and founder of Mama Matters. I provide early parenting and sleep support for renegade babies and responsive parents. So in my family, I have my lovely husband, Ross, and we have two children, Knox, who is five, and Zali, who is two. I love that renegade baby title. (laughs) it's so empowering isn't it it is um I'm interested to know how your own postpartum experience may have led into the work that you do but I think we'll get to that a little bit later but first off I wanted to know um what postpartum was like for you with Knox so Oh, that was about five years ago. It's hard yeah, to remember. Cast, hey, cast your mind back. <laughs> it was actually a pretty um, interesting experience because I only met my now husband about, I think we met in about October in 2015 and we had Knox in 20, 
oh no, so we, we must have met in October 2014 and we had Knox in February 2016. So I think we had only known each other for eight or nine months when I mm-hmm. fell pregnant. Um, so we were still very much in the honeymoon phase, me and yep. my partner. We even had housemates. Like we had a two-story <laughs> house that we were renting and our friends were living up top and we were living down the bottom. Yeah. So it was very separate still, but they were still around mm-hmm. um, for the first few months. So I think in terms of what that experience looked like versus what I always thought that would look like, it was completely different. Mm-hmm. But I really, really felt, I feel really fond of that experience and I will go back back to my postpartum experience any day because it was incredible but for me it wasn't the the sleepless nights and the punamis it was the biggest thing for me it was more that psychological and most emotional transition that just hit me for six Mm. and I just felt like I felt that so deeply and profoundly and I felt like why is no one talking about this why has everyone just told me what things to buy and what sleep programs to look up and things like that where I just feel like my whole identity, my whole world has been turned upside down and I'm just supposed to get on with that. Yeah. I remember messaging my mum like two days in saying, I never knew how much you loved me because huh. <laughs> I never knew how big this was. And yeah. all of this time I was probably really unappreciative and I just did not know how heavy that was. And I felt, I don't know if you can relate to that, like the whole ground just shifting yeah underneath you like holy shit this is my kid and I have to deal with it (laughs) yeah whatever and it's Um, that like you said that huge psychological shift that I guess people can talk to you about but you can't really prepare for that I suppose but no yeah I guess it it would be helpful if people maybe gave a little bit more insight into that rather than the oh this is the best pram and yeah that your kid's never gonna sit in yeah (laughs) that's right (laughs) I wish I'd saved all my money on a pram and a bloody cot and a bassinet because (laughs) they never got touched yeah but yeah in terms of um how I found that postpartum time I I really love newborns and babies I feel like it's my fit I love baby wearing and I love breastfeeding and like being close to someone that much of the day I am okay with I find mm-hmm. toddlers are a bloody <laughs> they're a whole other ball game aren't they <laughs> they're a whole other ball game I would like give me a baby any day yeah um but yeah the other thing that was big was that he was a really highly sensitive intense high needs baby which I didn't know really was a thing I just thought and before I had babies i I started teaching for a few years. I was a nanny for lots of years. So I had this idea that it's all um, nurture over nature. You can just teach and mould your kids to be anything you want them to be. I mm-hmm. like cringe when I think about all of the they'll, what about unwarranted the, advice. They'll fit into your life. You know, you don't, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. don't work around them. They work around you. <laughs> exactly. All you need is some good sleep habits. Just, you know, educate yourself about what good sleep habits are and put them in place from day dot. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it was just not like that at all. And mm. I was, um yeah <laughs> this baby was my bitch so no, what, sorry, I was this baby's bitch yeah <laughs> so what sorts of things like were happening I guess in a practical sense when you say highly sensitive or high needs 
baby? Like, what did that look like for you? Um, he only really wanted me. Like, he would, of course, you know, engage with other people and sleep with other people sometimes. But he really, if he was upset, I was mostly the only one who could soothe him. Mm-hmm. He woke frequently, as babies do, but particularly frequently he breastfed a lot around the clock it felt like and and I was seeing these other people with their babies feeding every three to four hours and I would always be watching the clock trying to get that little bit longer Mm. and I think one day I got two and a half hours and I was like fucking yes (laughs) (laughs) that's a win (laughs) it's changing and I can't believe it was even a thing at the time but I just felt like I was doing it wrong because Mm. everyone had said you know every three to four hours and then space out feeds and all these things and Nothing like that worked. He just fed around the clock. He slept really haphazardly, catnapped all the time. He didn't go in his pram. He hated the car. Just everything was actually pretty hard in that sense. Yeah. Like, I, I, I feel really fondly of the postpartum experience because I love, um, I just love babies. But in those moments, I think I didn't know how hard it was and mm. how particularly hard that baby was. Mm-hmm. And he's still, he's five now. He's still hard to parent. Yeah. And so um, when you had him and you came home, did you still have the housemates? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's They're good. Still friends. Yeah. That's great. It and were they helpful? Because they were, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they were. Like I went into labour downstairs. I don't know how they didn't hear me because I was a, like a moose. Yeah. <laughs> was so loud. And then we got home and they had made like three different meals, all these muffins and things, and they'd cleaned up all downstairs, like washed all the towels, whatever was on them, Mm -hmm. all like (laughs) around the house. They'd made our bed, put fresh sheets on. Like it was amazing in lots of ways, Mm. but there was, we definitely needed our space as well. And just because my husband as well was best friends with housemate upstairs, he would feel like if they had cooked us dinner or something, he would feel like, oh, I better go up there because they've cooked us dinner. I don't want to be rude. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm stuck under a baby in the feeding chair in this quiet room. I would really like you to be here. But, yeah. So the relationship, dynamic. the relationship stuff, yeah, that was probably a big thing for us just because we were still in the honeymoon phase. So it was a really big sudden shift for us. But yeah, we absolutely got through it. And so things like... Um, you mentioned sleep. You had a baby that sort of woke pretty frequently. Did you have any expectations around sleep before you had him? <laughs> of course I you did. I had this. Yeah. <laughs> I know the answer to I that. I had question. these expectations that you, I, I mean, I know infant mental health and attachment as well because I'm a social worker. So I wasn't working directly in that field at that time, but I had a fairly good idea. I'd done circles of security training and things so I knew that I was to follow my baby's lead but I also and looking back it's so incongruent but I also felt like around four months you have to make sure that you've got all these good sleep habits in place Mm -hmm. otherwise you're going to fuck everything up Mm -hmm. so I thought that this newborn phase you just give them everything they want hold them um rock them whatever and then they'll sleep in the bassinet next to you And then Mm. when they stir, you just throw a hand over (laughs) and just gently touch their belly and push them and pat them and they'll just go back to sleep Mm. because they're feeling, you know, warm and loved and connected. Mm. Um, 
and then I also thought that you know we can put them in the in the pram and we can go for a walk to get coffee and they'll just have a sleep on the way there mm-hmm. I also thought that if you have trouble getting them to sleep you just put them in the car mm-hmm. um and that, I, that that does work for some babies that definitely worked for me <laughs> yeah awesome it didn't work for me it does yeah. when as they got older that it worked for me mm. but every time I said to someone he hates the car and they'd say oh that's really odd mine loves the car <laughs> I was like good for you um <laughs> but I also thought it would just gradually get better yeah and I mean get better by they would sleep for longer they would self-settle I had this um myth of self-settling just mm. I was almost obsessed with it and not obsessed to the point that I would try and try and try and get him to self-settle because he would just go from zero to hundred and I knew that it wasn't going to happen but I remember someone coming over and he had a three or four year old and I was like so when did he learn to self-settle and he was like I don't think he I don't think he self-settles still and I was like oh (laughs) I thought it was like this magical place that you get to like naturally that I don't know I just thought and I thought everything happened in the first year, really, that maybe they wake frequently that when they're newborns and then you get to four months and there's this um, sleep regression and everything hits the fan. So before that sleep regression, you have to make sure they're self-settling, linking sleep cycles um, on a bit more of a routine, things like that. Mm. And then you'll sail through that. And then by six months, maybe they'll be sleeping through the night. Yeah, I was and the same. Forever. I was the same. And I would Google it. And Google would say, yeah, by six months, they'll be sleeping through. And so I'd be like, okay, he's five months. So there's only a month left. This is great. Like, yeah, you know, I'm really looking forward to that, that day where, you know, things will just magically change. Yeah. And it where never he has a six-month birthday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like that's, still... that's so much pressure for a first-time mum or for any mum, you know, to feel as though, all of these things have to be happening before four months or, you know, you have to be in that good routine and good schedules and linking sleep cycles. Like, did you feel that pressure? Yeah, absolutely. And then I, I look back on it now and thinking that whole newborn stage, give them everything they need and then. Um, Take it all away. Yeah. And then actually, no, you fucked everything up. And now you have to do some sleep training and fix all these problems that you've made because you've made a rod for your back because they're four months old now and they should be doing all these things. Mm. Like it's so insane. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But when you're in it and you are consumed by it and you just want the best for your kid as well, because you learn that you have to do these good sleep things in order for your kid to develop properly and sleep for the rest of their life, you have to teach them. And when you're responsible for a little human, you feel like you need to do all of the things for them that's going to give them the best possible start. So, yeah, so much pressure. And a lot of it is just so unwarranted. Mm. And so when, you know, when you reached four months or six months and things weren't sort of happening as, you know, the books say and the internet says, how did you react to that? I think I, when I came home from the hospital with Noxie, right next to my feeding chair, I had a book by Pinky McKay, mm-hmm. Parenting from the Heart or Parenting by Heart or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm so, so grateful that that was the first book I read because that was the book that said your baby will breastfeed often and this is what they get from a breastfeed rather than just nutrients. 
Mm-hmm. Um, she talked about sleep and things like that. So I had that in my mind as well. And I, I followed my gut and followed my, um, my baby's lead in terms of if he needed soothing, I wouldn't, I wouldn't not soothe him. Like I mm. wasn't trying to control crying or anything like that. That just didn't feel right. But I kept trying to encourage him to self-settle and I encouraged him to link sleep cycles and I kept a baby tracking app to see what times he was sleeping, just looking for a pattern, looking for his natural pattern that I could then form a routine around. Mm. Um, so I always had that in my mind and I always felt like this other way just it feels like I'm doing it wrong. It doesn't feel right. It feels clunky. It feels like I'm pushing shit uphill. It doesn't feel like this is ever going to happen for me and my baby. Mm. So on one hand, I was I was okay to surrender. And then on the other hand, I was still Googling everything and waiting yeah. for the magic to happen and thinking that if I just follow his lead now, it'll all fall into place later. Mm. And it didn't really, but <laughs> I don't, it did now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Five, but yeah, I think as well that eight to kind of 12 months is a really hard time as well and this is when most of my clients contact me Mm. because it's a time where you think oh now I really have fucked up because everything has hit the fan their sleep is so much worse than it ever has been it's because I haven't done all of this Mm. so now I really need to nip it in the bud and fix it once and for all but actually that's just a really hard time for sleep yeah and it was so good that you had that pinky mckay book i have that book as well and it's amazing um and it was one of the first ones i had too which was really good because i didn't know what i was doing um yeah <laughs> but yeah, even it's so reassuring. Like, like you said like even though you have that resource there telling you that babies feed frequently and they wake frequently it's so hard to keep the external chatter out around sleep and you know sleep training and sleep patterns and all that sort of stuff um I'm wondering when like when did you get to a place where you started to like look into sleep as um a form of work that you do um probably not until I was on maternity leave with Zali okay because I think that I had always felt once I kind of really realized my values and really did some research around biologically normal infant sleep and found the right people to follow and um, believe in, sleep was always really interesting to me because I just felt like the whole culture of obsession with sleep was hurting mums and babies. Mm. And then in my work as an early intervention parenting clinician, I was seeing parents on the other side of that who were having postpartum depression, anxiety, feelings of failure and inadequacy. And a lot of it came down to this sleep. And it wasn't just sleep deprivation. It was sleep is awful, sleep's a nightmare. He doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. And it was just really unrealistic expectation Mm. and pressure from other people. And often we were seeing mothers on the other side being kind of disconnected from their babies and kids because the that's a really noisy bird sorry (laughs) the treatment was about separating mums and babies Mm. so you're having a hard time so let's get your baby sleeping through the night and then we can focus on you Mm. but it causes further disconnect between that mother and baby that idea that first of all it's a pressure that that baby must sleep through the night Mm. even if it's not biologically normal and it's that um 
creating that barrier between mum and baby for mum to follow baby's lead. And it can be a really slippery slope in terms of infant mental health and attunement and attachment where mum is sort of trained to not follow the baby's cue. Mm. And it just, I just saw the shit show on the other side a lot of the time. Mm. That, um, that made me feel like I need to learn more about this and what we can do to help families with sleep because I'm not dismissing a parent's experience with sleep deprivation and some kids really do need some support mm. around their sleep but there's got to be somewhere in between and that's when I did my training with Isla Grace yeah when I was on that leave as well and so how did your postpartum experience with Zali um compare to with Knox like was it different or was it similar you tell me it was it was <laughs> different and similar so of course it was different because it was my second and I still had a toddler. So he was three when she was born. Um, I definitely surrendered more, but also she was a different baby and mm-hmm. she was by no means a unicorn baby. She still fed frequently and slept haphazardly and just what a newborn does. But I didn't worry so much like I wasn't parenting from fear of bad habits and fear of you know what's going to happen six months down the track or anything like that so I still safely bedshared with her I still let her nap in a bassinet in our living room all day it didn't matter if Noxie woke her up she'd just you know sleep on me sometimes sleep on dad sometimes sleep in the bassinet sometimes she was different because she would sleep in the pram Mm-hmm. or at least lie there peacefully <laughs> so I felt like I was Game able changer. to get that time yeah <laughs> because I just for my first experience I had just imagined putting my baby in the pram every day and going for a long walk and getting a coffee that was something I was really looking forward to mm. and then I would get like two or three houses down and have to put him in my wraps because he was screaming and then I'd be pushing a pram and carrying a crying baby and I wouldn't be able to have a coffee yeah (laughs) so I could do all of that with her we used to walk to kindy together and um yeah it was just a really really nice time that I really didn't want to end I really really enjoyed that postpartum Mm. experience with her probably more so just because I just didn't care like I didn't care about what I was doing wrong I knew that it was going to happen naturally yeah and it's so nice to like experience a baby when you do take that pressure off yourself I think Mm. um I've seen that happen with a lot of people second time around where there's just this shift of like you know just going into the unknown and surrendering to to what they need and it yeah almost feels like that shift in energy and like having a mum that's a bit less anxious or a bit less worried about particular, you know, schedules and routines, the baby feeds off that. And, mm. you know, then you have a baby that might go in the pram and, <laughs> yeah. you know, might be a little and bit more settled. very different babies as well. Yeah. And it, and I can see it now even as Noxie's five and she's two. They're just different. Like mm. she's not... Um, I don't want to say resilient. I don't want to say Noxie's not resilient, but she is a little bit more robust. Mm. She adjusts and transitions a lot more easily. She's still a toddler and is very demanding and cries a lot and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all of that. But she, they're just different, really different kids. 
Yeah. And that was different from the start too. And that's what I kind of like question with, you know, strict sleep schedules and like books that, you know, have a very specific formula. And it's like, how can you expect that to work on thousands and thousands of babies that are all very, very different to one another? Honestly, it does my head in. Like the statistics show newborns can sleep anywhere between nine hours over a 24 hour period or 20 hours. Mm. And both of those are normal, like between mm. nine and 20 hours. Huge. That might be wrong, but it's something <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's something as mind blowing as that. Yeah. That is normal. So how does this generic graph of wake windows and ideal schedules fit? And how does that impact people's breastfeeding experiences and mm things like that it's just it just honestly blows my mind Mm. and how did you go with things like breastfeeding because you mentioned that you were breastfeeding so I'm interested to know like how the first few like days and weeks of that went with um with both babies Mm. um I it it surprised me how much babies breastfed Mm -hmm. like once I had Noxie I honestly thought you would I honestly thought your baby would cry you'd pick them up, you'd put them on the breast, they'd feed for a little bit and then they might have a sleep and you'd put them down and then you'd repeat the cycle. I didn't know it was so much like off and on and back and forth and so much, you know, they have days where they just want to be on you and feeding all day. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have too many issues with breastfeeding. I had mastitis a lot of times the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, But we, we picked it up quite easily, which I'm really grateful for. I've breastfed Noxie till he was about two um, and he used to feed during the night a lot and I just got to a point where everything just felt dried up and I, it just felt icky for me and so we stopped that. Yeah. Zali, Zali was actually a little more challenging, not in the early days. I only had mastitis once on day four or five with her. Mm-hmm. But as we got to about maybe... 12 months, 14 months, she, I, I still don't know what was happening, but I was getting a lot of pain when I was feeding. It's, it felt like she was biting and scraping me, but I still don't know. Mm. Um, but it became not a nice experience for either of us. She used to cry when we went into the bedroom when it was about to be breastfeed to sleep um, because it was so tense and I would be yeah you were angry and end up taking her off and she'd be crying and so in the end I shifted the pattern of feeding her to sleep we did that over a few days and then I would just feed her um when she needed a feed but as that shifted like as I stopped feeding her to sleep she she didn't often feed during the night even though we were bed sharing it was just so different to Noxie he would have been like on the boob all night Mm -hmm. but she would just kind of hop on once or twice sometimes I'd wake up and I'm like I don't think she even fed last night I don't even really know but she just stopped feeding as much and it kind of phased out and I thought oh that was a lot easier than I thought it would be I thought we'd just be you know kind of phasing it out over six months or months or so and then before I knew it she wasn't feeding anymore Mm -hmm. and then I had some regret and I felt like because I think she probably stopped around 15 months or so I can't remember exactly but I had kind of wanted to feed her until she was too like noxy but it just didn't work that way and I know that it wasn't just all her it was because I made some of those changes but I think I think it's important to know that that's kind of the risk you run when you start putting some boundaries in around feeding which is Mm. totally fine 
and I needed those boundaries because that was not nice anymore. Like it was hurting and it was not nice for either of us. But I didn't realise that that would just be like kind of the start of the end. So I felt a bit sad about that. But now that she's older, I'm fine with it. But in that time between when she weaned and when I had hoped to feed until, that was a little bit just mild pang of regret. Yeah, and that's understandable. Like you have expectations of, you know, how long these things are going to go for and you've already done it with another baby for two years. So you kind of think it'll be similar. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and it's a different journey in the end. And it's a big like emotional shift and hormonal shift when you stop breastfeeding too. So I feel like there's almost like, you know, whether you got to the two years or whether you, you know, stopped at 15 months, there's always like that period of, um, it's almost like a grief. It's like, we no longer have this like little thing that we do together. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think because I, we don't want to have any more babies, I don't think. So it was like everything that shifted was our last time. Mm. So yeah, yeah, definitely a little bit of sadness around that, but mm-hmm. very grateful for it, both of our experiences Yeah, with the breastfeeding. I really can't complain. And who did you have around you for support, like family? Obviously you, you had housemates the first time around. Did, were they around second time or? No, <laughs> yeah, we brought them back. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, we have our own house now. Yeah. They were around for the first three months or so, and then we both moved out yeah. into other houses. But um, I had my mum visit for both births. She wasn't there for the birth, but she was around staying nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would come and do my washing, which was so helpful. I just, she felt like she wasn't helping, but I was like, that is everything. Yeah. She would just come in here and not ask any questions and just do the washing for me and hold the baby when I want to have a shower or do something. Um, so that was really helpful. And then my husband's family all live here as well. So my mum and dad-in-law are super amazing. They take the kids, like they just had a sleepover on the weekends with them while mm-hmm. we went away. So yeah, that was super helpful as well. But something that was really helpful was just meals. I just felt so overwhelmed thinking about what we were going to eat each day because mm-hmm. there's so many layers to that. It's like getting the groceries, going to the shops and getting the groceries or having the capacity to sit down, do an online shop mm-hmm. and then to cook and clean up. It was yeah. just too much for me, but I ended up handballing that to my husband anyway, and he still does it. That's good. And that's the thing. Like I think a lot of postpartum care, it's not, rocket science like we don't need to reinvent the wheel a lot of the times like yeah just having food available makes such a huge difference to how you can experience like you know that first six weeks or first three months like just having that pressure taken away makes such a difference and I think it's underrated too I think a lot of people think oh we'll be right we'll just we'll be fine we'll just cook like Mm. it's not going to be that difficult and then it's like mm. it's really difficult yeah. <laughs> yeah and I remember the first time someone dropped off a bunch of muffins mm. and I still remember how great that was because I'd just have a muffin on my bedside table mm. and for those night feeds like I was so hungry the first time mm. and I would just in the middle of the night be breastfeeding my newborn and just reach over for another muffin it was mm. the best and then the second time one of my friends cooked a lasagna and put it in all individual portions to freeze and I lived on lasagna for the first month or so every lunchtime 
it was the best that stuff is so helpful yeah it is it is Mm. and that's so good that you had that um yeah I was pretty well supported I would like to talk about the work that you do Mm -hmm. um so you said that you sort of obviously you had the um social work background and then after you had Zali that's when you um started looking into like the gentle sleep stuff so can you talk a little bit about like when did you get to the point of thinking you know like sleep training and all of these methods just don't seem to work like when was your like aha moment (laughs) so in in I think it was with Noxie I found possums Mm -hmm. clinic and that was that was my first aha moment because it was so evidence-based and credible and you know in before that I'd found you know Facebook groups about biologically normal infant sleep and the odd website talking about what babies should and shouldn't do and things like that but this just felt really close to home because it was in Brisbane Mm -hmm. um credible and so evidence-based and I just felt like oh my god why doesn't everybody know about this because this is turning the whole mainstream sleep paradigm on its head and so once I did more research into that I felt really strongly about it and then I started working in early intervention parenting and then in my during my maternity leave with Bali I did the Isla Grace baby led sleep and well-being certification and I just frothed (laughs) every module I was like oh my god this is so good babe this is the best thing I've ever done I can't believe how much I love all of this and I found something that's so aligned with my values and reassuring me that my gut instinct and what I feel so confused and conflicted about it's all right here and it's being made sense of to me so I didn't know that I would actually use that work to work around sleep I was kind of looking at at it as a bigger picture and I always had this idea to to provide a safe space for mums um originally I said parents but then I started talking directly to mums because I felt like that was just my people Mm -hmm. um but a safe space for mums to get all of the support that they need without judgment without shame and with all of this knowledge around normal baby sleep and behavior Um, but then I just kind of took a different direction after I did the Isla Grace training. So then I used my social work skills, my attachment in infant mental health knowledge and my possums training as well. I've just, I haven't done the, the proper accreditation training with them, but just the certification course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of molded that together to create the honest sleep support. So I think it started by just starting an Instagram and how much do you feel like of numpty starting an Instagram for the first time like that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of scary. Hey, you're like, yeah. oh, here I come with my Instagram trying to do another thing. Yeah. And it's a bit awkward to put yourself out there and start being a voice in the field. But man, it's been worth it because it's where I found the most community and things. Yeah. And like, clearly there's a need for that because, you know, you've got, a pretty big audience there and you get lots of I'm assuming lots of engagement and interaction um you know clearly people mums especially are looking for something that resonates with them and a way to get their babies to not necessarily to sleep but like a way to feel more like in tune and 
I guess, baby led around sleep. And I know yeah. you mentioned earlier about um, how a lot of sleep training, you know, whether it's like the books or the bassinet, I know there's the, the one called the snoo, like there's a whole bunch of different things that ba- basically are trying to stop you from, you know, from calming your baby right Mm, like yeah trying to get you to stop listening to your own intuition as a mother and that can feel so so wrong for so many of us and very confusing and Mm. um I'm assuming that the the Isla Grace training and all of the stuff that you've researched is more like like supporting the mother baby dyad yes absolutely because each each baby is insanely unique and then each relationship is so unique as well. So the mother baby relationship and then each family dynamic and cultural context and social context is so unique as well. So there's so many layers to what's going on for a kid's sleep and sleep is just one piece of the puzzle. There's so much else to look at rather than how many times your baby wakes and the way that they fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And what I felt really strongly about entering this field was because um terrible sentence uh, <laughs> like <Fine. laughs> I've had two coffees today um I was so drawn to possums because it felt really credible to me it was a GP and everything was evidence-based and so I felt like as a, a social worker with a background in attachment and infant mental health I had a And with the new knowledge about sleep, I felt like I was really able to come from a place of I get all the science behind this and all of the mental health stuff. And I still really believe that we're doing this wrong. Mm. And there's so much middle ground. It's not us against them. It's not sleep training versus no sleep training. It's not co-sleeping versus separate room sleeping. There's so much space in between. And Mm. what works for one family will not work for the next family. And there's so much space to honor your own needs alongside the needs of your baby and the rest of your family. Mm-hmm. It's not that you have to get your baby sleeping by themselves independently sleeping through the night to worry about your mental health. And it's not that you need to completely self-sacrifice and let go of anything to do with your own, you know, self-care and mental health in order to meet every single need of yeah. your baby. There's so much room in between and that's where we, work around sleep yeah and I guess no one wins from that either like if you're feeling completely exhausted and sleep deprived and stressed and anxious and depressed but you know you're doing all of that to get your baby to sleep like that's not a healthy thing either like you need to be looking Mm -hmm. after yourself and so um yeah it's great that you know these programs exist and the work that you do exists where you can kind of find that middle ground um yeah and that's what the evidence shows as well like it's this middle of the road parenting that is has the best outcomes for mother and baby Mm -hmm. it's not about um like anxiously running to their every sound Mm. it's about this relaxed responsiveness doing the best you can to meet their needs as best you can Mm -hmm. and being okay with all of these ruptures and focusing on the repairs so you're not going to be able to be 100% attuned to your baby every minute of the day Mm -hmm. that's just not reality you're going to do your best and they're going to have these recognize these patterns of attunement these patterns of responsiveness and know in their heart of hearts that you are a safe haven you're a secure base from which they can explore and um 
yeah, go out and explore the world and come back to you and know that you will be responsive and know what they need eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what does your work involve? Like how, like what do you actually do when, when people come to you with um, specific issues that they're having around sleep? Obviously it depends on the mm-hmm. issue, but <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, what does your but, day-to-day look like? So if somebody was to contact me around their kiddo's sleep, I would um, first have a, a discovery call with them to see whether we are a good fit. I'm not going to take anyone's money who I don't think is a good fit for me. Like mm-hmm. we have to have our values somewhat aligned. Um, I don't offer any quick fixes or any guarantees around sleep. We look at the the bigger picture, so much more holistic approach to sleep. So I would have them fill out a really big intake form Um, so we would look at everything from really getting into the nitty-gritty of their baby's temperament or their kid's temperament personality sensory preferences their um what they're kind of seeking and avoiding in terms of sensory Um, we'd look at diet their sleep patterns what daily activities look like their development everything from pregnancy and birth parenting values who's in the family what your goals are and things like that and then we would um we would look at the sleep foundations like so all the controllables like sleep environment um using lighting diet things like that to consider around your day Mm -hmm. and then we would look at what like we would work on the sleep so sometimes if someone comes to me with a, a smaller baby most of the most of the intervention is around psychoeducation and how to get more sleep as a family, like to take the pressure off sleep and to relax around sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas toddlers, toddlers are my favorite to work with because you can get really creative. Um, and because I work from more of an attachment lens, we look at how we can help the toddler to feel safe and secure enough to fall asleep mm-hmm. because sleep is a vulnerable place and it's sleep is a separation, even if their baby is sleeping on them sleep is a separation and a vulnerable place to go to so they need mm-hmm. to feel very safe and secure and calm and relaxed um so we look at all the things that we can do to help yeah get them to that place at bedtime yeah. make bedtime a little bit easier for everyone a little bit more relaxed and for them to enjoy more good times sounds, as a family sounds good i might need to ask you a few questions later <laughs> <laughs> Like a discovery caller. Um, yeah. <laughs> what um what are some of the main things that people come to you with, like the main issues? It's usually babies waking up too much. Mm-hmm. I say baby, but I mean like baby toddler, small child. Yeah. Um waking really frequently or bedtime is a shit show. Like getting them to sleep is really difficult. Mm-hmm. With smaller babies, it's all about um they catnap or they can't get them on a routine you know Mm -hmm. things like that so we also look for underlying medical issues as well so red flags for any sleep disordered breathing um my daughter had the enlarged tonsils and adenoids and sleep apnea so Mm -hmm. recognizing you know impacts of open mouth breathing and snoring and things like that Mm. Uh, which is what a lot of these sleep programs don't even look at yeah I was, it's yeah they I was don't just about to say that. that there's yeah you can probably articulate it better than I can but if it, if your baby does have some sort of yeah like ear nose and throat issue 
then sleep training isn't going to a acknowledge that or fix it and it's not getting to the like the cause of the problem of why they're waking and might Mm. even be doing some damage if you know that's not getting looked at yeah and when people go to someone and say that their baby is you know waking every 45 minutes overnight and they're saying oh that's just because you feed them to sleep Mm. or they have a negative sleep association or something like that and then they go home and try to do the sleep training it is not getting to the underlying cause of that waking it's just putting a behavioral approach on a medical issue (laughs) like it doesn't work yeah and it's yeah it is quite dangerous when they're not looking at stuff like that and Mm. also just something that can also have a really big impact on sleep is these individual sensory preferences like if a baby is um and this is definitely more an occupational therapist field of expertise I just touch the surface and pick up on red flags but if a baby is or a kid just needs that constant movement that constant like vigorous rocking and bouncing and swinging and wants to go upside down all the time and can't sit still and if they're not getting enough of that in their in their days they're going to seek that at night and if you're not going to put it in at bedtime if you don't want to rock or bounce to sleep anymore because that's okay because maybe your back hurts and maybe you just don't want to do that anymore Mm. then you need to put it somewhere else because they still need to have those sensory needs met and then the same for the highly sensitive kids who might be tactile avoiding or something like that so even the tags in their clothes can be too much for them to to fall asleep Mm. so there's all those little things yeah there's so much to it it is really interesting yeah sorry my chair just squeaked and it might have sounded like a fart (laughs) it was definitely my chair um it's, it's funny I was just thinking like feeding to sleep and rocking to sleep like you know there's so much talk about spoiling a baby and not you know creating bad habits and I just sort of think like if your baby feeds to sleep, wh- I mean, like, why does that work in the first place? If it's so bad, like, why does it work, right? And like, yeah, why do all most babies love it? Not all babies do it, but yeah. why do most babies like it? And why do most babies wake frequently? Because yeah. it's protective, because it's normal. Mm, that just bothers because me. Because they I- need to be close to her. That wasn't a question. That was just a comment. <laughs> I'm like starting to get really angry now. Um, no. And so an- another question I had um, was like, obviously we have friends and family who might offer advice. It might be well-meaning advice, but it might include things like cry it out or, you know, strict um, routines or oh, I did this and it worked for us what do we say to people when what they're saying to us might not like it might not sit well with us you know yeah I think that in order for us to be assertive and advocate for our own family's values and needs and we need to be really confident in our own values and needs so we Mm -hmm. need to spend the time thinking about what are our long-term goals for this parenting what are our long-term parenting values what um what do we want to instill in our kids what is important to us is it you know that we want kids to feel that they can always come to us with their emotions that that all emotions are welcome that we can be a safe place and a secure base um 
what's what's important to us as a family and how is that going to look long term because a lot of this sleep stuff is very short term focus Mm. this is the problem let's nip it in the bud but it doesn't think about what message that's sending long term Mm. so once you are confident in what your values are then you can be confident in telling other people Mm -hmm. and it depends who it is and how much they want to um impart on you in terms of advice but it's just as simple as saying that's not aligned with our values or we're okay for now thank you yeah and it it doesn't need to be I think it's important to advocate for our kids and advocate for these um, what's biologically normal but it doesn't need to be a fight it doesn't need to be us against them it's just creating further divide amongst mothers and it it's really sad to see Mm. so even like a lot of the work that we do in mama matters academy is to work through some of that judgment that we might have of other um parents parenting style and what other people do around sleep and to get to the bottom of why that feels yucky for us and what might be going on for them and trying to see into their minds as well as to what do you think impacts the way that they feel about this and why do you think they do what they do so just kind of yeah developing that understanding of one another as well we are going to do it all differently I think that of course we all parent differently but I think that respect for babies and respect for kids is a non-negotiable and trying to meet their needs in terms of creating that secure attachment and the positive infant mental health we need to try yeah what advice do you have for new mums around sleep and old mums, <laughs> second-time mums, third-time mums? I think that, um, again, getting in touch with your values is really important, but also to, and I'm sure that they've all heard it before, but watch your baby and not the books. Mm. And if something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't for you. Um, so really learn to listen to that gut instinct it's not that I think everything is within you and you have all the answers because I do value learning and growing but holding that lightly alongside what feels right for you Mm. and your family and your baby so also to gain that confidence to not parent from a place of fear which is really hard because we're so scared of fucking up our kids Mm -hmm. (laughs) and doing it wrong and being judged by other people and just working through some of that and letting go of some of that so surrounding yourself with people who feel aligned with your values who um inspire you and encourage you rather than make you feel like shit i love that um yeah i have got and don't and don't use a baby tracker yes oh no i had the tracking apps i had all of the apps i had the breastfeeding app and the sleep app and it just drove me insane honestly Mm -hmm. I was do not recommend a pattern. No, do not recommend. And there's no pattern, really. I mean, some babies might have, like, some unicorn babies. Yeah, know. some are more predictable for sure. But yeah, I remember I had one Most night where he slept really well, and I was like, okay, what did he eat yesterday? And like, and what did we do? Let's just do that every single day. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe he'll sleep, you know, for five hours in a row. 
Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that never happened. No. <laughs> um, oh, and the other thing I will say about advice for new mums is when you get caught up in the wake windows and the sleep schedules and the linking sleep cycles and all the other rubbish, think about all of the other cultures in the world mm. aside from our Western predominantly white culture. Mm. They think we're fucking nuts yeah. for tracking everything and obsessing over sleep and independent sleep. Mm. Like most of the world co-sleep, most of the world um, don't track their baby's wake windows and are not obsessed with self-settling and things like that. So mm. I think it's really important to gain perspective sometimes and have a look at what the rest of the world is doing yeah. because we feel like our way is the way, but it's just one way. And and that's the same too for like everyone. postpartum care. Like our Western culture has got it so wrong. Like, you know, we don't have the support we need. We don't have the village. We don't have really anything. So yeah, and I you think just got to bounce back and get on with it. I think too, like having a think about how do you actually want to feel in the first six months or the first 12 months of your baby's life? Do you want to be stressing about sleep and yeah, wake windows and linking sleep cycles? Or do you just want to look back and think it was just a beautiful time? And like, mm. sometimes he slept and sometimes he didn't. <laughs> Yeah. And I know that's a lot that's easier said than done because it's so much pressure. But of course. It is such a small window of time Mm -hmm. in the scheme of things. It really, really is. And that's not to say enjoy every moment and cherish this time at all. all. But looking back, like once I surrendered to what was Noxie, especially his normal day, was just that he would catnap he would just take sleep where as he needed in the carrier or you know quick 20 minutes in the cot and then we would go about and enjoy our day and then have a little kip on the run whenever he needed and then if I felt like um he needed it I and I needed it because I'm a pretty big introvert as well that in the afternoon we'd have I sit on the couch and I'd feed him and he'd sleep and I'd feed him and he'd sleep and I'd watch my shows and drink mm-hmm. coffee and need to go to the toilet and <laughs> hold oh, on yeah. for ages. <laughs> but that worked for us. Like he yeah. would have little kips to take the edge off and then we'd have a little catch up sleep and beautiful time for both of us as well. Yeah. And I wonder like how much of our babies needing to be on us in order to sleep is them helping us to slow down a little bit. Yeah, I really believe that. Yeah. Or it's just that that's, you know, that can be our perspective as well, that this mm. is just the science is just chill. Yeah. And be with them. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, the Mama Matters Academy and what what is it, what it involves and who's who's in there? Sure. So I, I felt like there was um, community missing from the like just being able to connect with like-minded mums who all share really similar values I found that you could join Facebook groups free groups and do you know self-paced courses and things but if you join a group on Facebook and you put out a question for advice you get like a whole realm of advice back you know mm-hmm. like someone saying cherish every moment everything's a a gift um or you get like you know you just got to be hard and do this sleep training method and things like that so I wanted to create a really safe space for mums where they could come together and learn and grow alongside each other and have this ongoing support with one another like to kind of build that village so Mama Matters Academy is a is a group coaching 
course. I am looking at doing it as a self-paced option as an alternative, Mm -hmm. but at the moment it's like five or six weeks group coaching. I say five or six weeks because we often have a break week in the middle that makes it six, six weeks. But we look at everything from the culture around sleep, um, infant mental health, attachment, circle of security, um, emotions and independence, development, baby brains, co-regulation, motherhood and relationships, matrescence and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then plus everything about sleep. So because I feel like sleep is only a, a piece of the puzzle, we look at everything else before we look at sleep, but then we have all of the so-called answers around sleep so um support around any transitions you know going from bed sharing to independent sleeping and things like that yeah it's been really amazing because above all it's the community that is like what I'm most proud of but it's also been really amazing to see people's confidence grow and from the start what they come for is often not what they end up um looking at in terms of sleep so they might come for support around sleep but then in the end they're like I'm happy with how everything is I feel so much more confident I can assert my boundaries to family members and things like that Mm -hmm. so it's been really amazing I really really am proud of it and yes they'll um we'll do another live round in June so I will open doors in a couple of weeks so later in May and so is it more um aimed at uh women who have already had babies or women who are pregnant or is that a little bit too soon to kind of look into that stuff? I would love to connect with more mums during their pregnancy, but what we find, and this is what the research finds as well, is that during pregnancy, women are more focused on birth Mm. and breastfeeding and not so focused on challenging the mainstream paradigm that comes later through experience, I think. So Um, I, I really would love to connect with more mums in their pregnancy. However, this course is aimed for postpartum and I don't even encourage it for mums of newborns. I would say from say four months and up, just because I think during the newborn phase, they should just be falling in love with their baby and Mm. settling into their new roles and then they can come and do the work with me. Awesome. And And so you've got the the Mama Matters Academy. You do the like one-on-one kind of work with individual people. And is there anything else that you're doing through your business? I just have a couple of other little mini offerings. So I have a um, mini course on shifting patterns in the night. So if anybody is feeding throughout the night and doesn't want to be anymore, um, it's aimed for 12 months and up just because mm-hmm. I feel like anything under that should probably be done alongside a lactation consultant or GP, whatever. Um, but that is just about getting creative and how to put those boundaries in around feeding during the night. Um, and then my my first ever offering, which I am going to supercharge a little bit and add a little bit more to it because I still think it's like the most important piece is the, my get to know me baby ebook on baby temperament Mm -hmm. so that's all about understanding who your baby is um what makes them tick their sensory preferences their innate temperament traits uh looking at goodness of fit so if you are a good fit if your temperament is a good fit with them or if it feels like a little bit of a struggle sometimes high needs babies sensitive babies all the things so that's just a little ebook that i have on my site as well amazing i will um put links and everything 
in the show notes. That's what the fancy podcast people say <laughs> in the show it's notes. So professional. Um, to all of your amazing stuff. And yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for sharing everything that you have today, your own experience and the work that you do. I'm sure that a lot of um a lot of mums are going to resonate with this stuff and um, hopefully find a little bit more support in, um, you know, all of the issues that we have around sleep and around being a new mum. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun to talk about myself, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hope I didn't talk too fast and too much, but thank you Not so much. All. It's been really nice. Not at all. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please come over and say hi on Instagram. That's where I like to hang out. Uh, my handle is at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph, S-T-E-P-H. That's where I'll be sharing podcast episode updates too. Hope to chat to you soon.